Ah, uh, Dr. Quest. Hello? Thank you for picking up. Oh, hello, Zen. You'll never be able to escape my newest death trap. It uses the forces of gravity to trap you beneath the Earth's crust. Um, I mean, that sounds that sounds fun and all, but, um... Even a man of your obvious talents and brain power cannot hope to escape my diabolical plan for world domination this time. Listen, uh, Dr. Zinn, it, it's a lovely thought, but now that Johnny's gone off to college, I I don't know. I, I'm not as interested in doing this sort of arch-nemesis thing anymore. Oh, but what about just last week? When I hurled you into orbit, and you were forced to cannibalize your own space station to make a jetpack. And that was a lot of fun, but I kept worrying the whole time about what Race would think. I know. Benny? Right, uh, yes, Benny? Race. Uh, Who's there? Is that? Is Race there? Is that Zin? No, no, I'm... Can you put Race on? I'm talking to, uh, Haji. Oh, no, uh, go oh back great. To your, uh, go go yeah. back to your needlepoint. Well, I'm, I'm actually, uh... I'm thinking about going to the the home improvement store to get some petunias. These these seeds just don't seem to be sprouting. Oh, that's that sounds can, lovely. Can you tell Haji that I love him? Of of course. Oh wow, this is really awkward. Uh, All right, and, uh, and you... I'll be back. Oh, okay, bye. Um, um, You'll tell him hi for me later, right? Um, you know, I, I was thinking that. Did you guys get those cookies I sent? Oh, this is awkward. I, I think it'd be best if you two didn't see each other. You know, he doesn't have as good memories of those times as we did. He took a couple bullets, remember? <laughs> yes. The ice robots on the glacier. One of my finest moments. I think you're right. It just never can be the way it was. Well, maybe not never. Maybe in a couple years. I, I've just adopted a daughter. And in a few years, she might be she might be just the right age for some all-American adventures. Dr. Quest, we both know that women have no place in our world. Hey, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's the the ice good. robots sound really cool. I want to watch that episode. <laughs> I was I was going straight from Defenders of the Earth. Oh, nice. <laughs> Defenders of nice. the Earth. Defenders. If you've never watched Defenders of the of the Earth, by the way, and you have some love for Johnny Quest, you really gotta. I will gotta check, check that, that out. out. And and I I guess I need to watch uh, Venture Bros too. I haven't seen that show since like the first or second episode when it aired. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. You you got to get on that right quick. At least. Okay, for the, through the first four seasons. Okay, it's pretty much a it's pre, it's a good time throughout. And rewatching this show made me realize so many references that I hadn't picked up on, like the lizard men show up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, let me let me go back through my just notes. the general like feel of it. You feel so much more invested knowing oh this this has grounding somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. just sociopaths made a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I'm I'm glad to see that. There. That sounds awesome. I went back and watched the first episode of um, Harvey Birdman. They had the, yeah. Oh really? <laughs> oh yeah. Because they, the, they make the allegory that. Yeah, that was yeah, the they're, custody they're episode. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I love that series. 
Um, I like to think of their familial unit as being entirely asexual. Like I agree. It's just how their family works. Yeah. yeah. And we don't have to make a, like, a lol homo joke. Right. Yeah. I, it's, I feel it's... like that's kind of like low-hanging fruit, I think, when you see a family mm-hmm. of just four dudes. It's like, oh, yeah, they're, you know. But I, I feel like... I mean, let's talk about their fear, fear of women all the time, like, all day. <laughs> but we just don't mean to make it sexual. No, right. it's, it's very platonic. I think so. I think it really is. They're... A, a partnership. Well, let's get uh, let's get started to talk about the partnership. They're not gay. They just don't have time for anything that's not manly men. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, but... maybe if Ronda Rousey showed up, she'd be welcomed in with open arms. Right, but they just don't have time to like settle down and like you know make a home and uh, all that stuff. They got to kind of do it on the go. Who that's would, true. Who would get involved in adventures? Right. Oh man. Uh, uh, so... Wouldn't wouldn't Johnny Quest be such a rampant womanizer once he hit his puberty? Oh yeah. I'm so glad. Like we didn't see the later years. Like all, oh. all grown up. Yeah. I mean, essentially, that's just Venture Brothers. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's let's uh, let's get started. Uh, welcome, listeners. My name is Ben, and my name is Zane, and I'm. And you're listening. Oh hey. shit. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Hi, hi andrew i'll go back no, go in my ahead. box sorry i i always like try to preempt it so that i can then introduce you in a separate okay. sentence that sounds not good. realizing that we give you kind of the setup i was like, like really okay obviously. i'm gonna be third uh my bad no, no no go ahead please you're gonna be fourth after the intro joke <laughs> excellent no, go go ahead okay um hi my name is andrew spawn i uh i do a podcast called amusement sparks which is like a theme park design show that's done by amateurs yeah and we're, we're gonna grill you on that but for right now uh welcome to the carton cast thank you where we watch old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults yes the carton quest a couple of all-american boys accompanied by their expert bodyguard which one of us is the bodyguard i assumed andrew had that uh, right yeah, i'll take that mantle he i mean race is also their tutor and i kind of do some tutoring in my day job so I'm down. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. The tutoring is the the main thing I have in common with him. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think I can pick up the rest of it. Really, you're not shooting rifles on jet skis? Not super recently. Um, well, well, I hope you eventually get a a, a darling uh, salt and pepper haircut look like he does. Like I assume he has. It, it's all white now. It is a, an incredible hairstyle. I, I absolutely love it. Distinguished. Yeah, you can set your watch to that. <laughs> My watch has Your, grown hair. Yeah. Is it <laughs> a, said. a color-only watch display? Like You can tell what Correct. time it is by what color the face is? Or... It's a Google watch. Oh, okay. They do all sorts of crazy stuff. <laughs> cool. But yeah, today we are watching Johnny Test, which is an American-Canadian no, no, animated no. television uh... series produced by Warner Brothers and... For the second, first and second seasons, and Cookie Jar for the remainder ben, of the series, ben. it premiered on Kids WB oh, no. ben. and followed a young boy and his dog as they. Then it was already confusing enough because Johnny Quest had like three sequels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Oh boy, <clears throat> Zane, what are we really watching? We're watching Johnny Quest, mm-hmm. uh, which ran from 1964 to 65 on ABC, and it was the first action show of Hanna Barbera. So this set the set the bar for. Uh, Space Ghost and Birdman, uh, and like those series, it had its own reboots in uh, '86 and then '96. It was a uh, it was created and designed by comic book artist Doug Wildey, and inspired by radio serials and comics in the action adventure genre, um, featuring realistic art and more realistic stories than Hanna Barbera's previous cartoons. Like no ridiculous body proportions, no anthropomorphization, like a fairly reasonable. Realistically toned family unit, yeah. which really kind of set it apart. 
Um, it also was kind of the first foray that Hanna-Barbera did into limited animation. Very which, limited. Uh, it, not as limited as later, as later decades, I've found, actually. And it's because they had just kind of adopted the cost-cutting measures, but were sort of dipping their toes in, seeing yeah. how much people would, you know, would be able to deal with. And I thought it was mostly pretty fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, quick, quick thing, uh, Andrew. Did we, did we like blow over the point, the part where we were going to introduce you more in depth? Like, no, let's uh, do that right now. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so yeah, t- today we're we're being joined by uh, we got Andrew. into a thing. We did get into a thing. We <laughs> we we had a kind of our own momentum. Uh, Andrew, please uh, f- feel free to introduce anything and everything about yourself. Oh wow. Uh, well, <clears throat> I was I was born. June 30th, uh, yeah. No, um, I do a podcast called Amusement Sparks. That's a theme park design podcast. It's like hypothetical, so we're not actually going to go build these things. We're just like letting our imaginations go wild, and uh, it's it's a really good time. And that's yeah. so that's such a creative idea because you know we we enjoy talking about cartoons, but there's a glut of of cartoon or video game review podcasts. But just I feel like you just came up with this out of whole cloth. How did that happen? Um, yeah, let, let's side let's sidetrack down uh, your podcast for a little bit, yeah. and then we can pop out of it. <laughs> that sounds good, and we've got the like intro to the to Johnny Quest down already, so yeah, yeah. sounds good. I wanted to at least get through that. Cool. Um, so yeah, um, I don't really know what else there is to say about it, honestly. I think that a lot of uh, like the majority of the design work that we get to comment on as you know video game and cartoon fans is is done commercially. You know, it's, it was somebody's job to create that thing, and the same mm-hmm. way with like theme parks like most of the theme parks you actually get to go to someone got paid to do that and it was like their 10th theme park they designed or whatever whereas this is uh, a lot more amateur and so a lot more kind of uh fresh and there's also not the expectations of reality so it's you know a limitless <laughs> budget and it's just pure imagination so it's it's yeah, more it's for fun you know you've taken roller coaster tycoon and given it more toolbars <laughs> yeah it's like roller coaster tycoon but uh, instead of having any kind of visual representation, it's all just a conversation. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's almost like going from playing an RPG video game to playing, like, Dungeons & Dragons, where it's just a conversation and, like, the possibilities are, like, literally limitless. Well, I've really enjoyed yeah. listening to it. And, you know, the what your guests often do is try to put somebody in the physical space of a reality that they've always enjoyed mm-hmm. and that's i mean a lot of cartoons try to do that with having main characters that will really appeal to the demographic and sort of wish fulfillment but the idea of like going through a theme park where you get to solve scooby-doo mysteries is just very enticing right and i think that's kind of the allure of like yeah like you said like scooby-doo the reason why i liked this that's it's just kids like i could be a part of of the you know the mysteries five group it wouldn't be a problem like i could i could survive in there doing the things that they do but making a theme park so it's a, that, a bit of wish fulfillment then pretty much and it's like it's giving the agency to the park guest like they get to pick what happens they get to solve the mystery if they want to or they can just treat it like an amusement park and just go ride the rides and stuff but i've definitely done a thing uh when i was a kid where i would posit my dream house and just put whatever I, you know ball pits and yes. trampolines and shit everywhere yeah so i imagine trying to do that but with a theme right and would be would be really satisfying there's there's a lot of of enjoyment even from watching other people do that kind of thing like um i used to substitute teach and like i was substituting for like uh elementary school and like whenever there was some spare time i'd be like okay so like draw your your dream house and it was just fascinating to see what people would come up with like 
Yeah, I want that in my house too. Like you know, a trampoline that's upside and down and made zero of... gravity. Like, oh, it's it's <laughs> this just room great. is made of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just when they can totally like just let loose with their imagination and be like, what do I really want? What would really make me happy in this world? And uh, it's usually really bizarre, really fun stuff. So, what would uh, what, what's your? Do you have like a favorite uh, posited theme park so far? Oh, jeez. Well. So far, I mean, this we've done... I think, Name names. We've done six episodes so far. And so with it being the first six, there are generally uh, things I'm super, super into. Um, the The second episode was Pokemon World, and I've been a Pokemon fan, Ooh. you know, for 20 years or whatever. So that was a really thrilling one because that's... Are you keeping up? Uh, what do you mean? Oh, with the games? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Like I, I, I honestly just fell off after, like johto or whatever yeah the the storyline of the games is very boring and uh i'm definitely more of a storyline person than a you know combat person whereas the pokemon games seem to be so repetitive in the combat aspect i get really bored but Mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm mildly interested i play the card game a lot still Um, oh dude have you ever played the uh the the game boy color version of the pokemon trading card yeah yeah i was really into that back in the day (laughs) it's it's pretty limited i mean you can only have cards from the first like three sets no it's so good that's all i need i mean that's all i need it is good and the uh they got a a sequel in japan so i tried playing through the sequel in japanese with like a translation guide but it just slowed the, the action down a <laughs> you lot. You are dedicated. I, yeah. I am pretty much a huge I want a, I want a Pokemon trading card game theme park. Oh, wow. Um, ben, that's <laughs> just, just the, like your local the, game store. <laughs> I know. <laughs> or it's like but you instead, have, but at best, of, like, you have those Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, and... arm things where you can put the card down. <laughs> But instead, you know, like those fucking Yu-Gi-Oh, like, uh, like the the dueling discs thing. Yeah, yeah. We no, but instead, of, like sweaty clerk and like mouth breathing, uh, mouth breathing comic nerd, you have uh, like six Imakunis just Ooh. running around. Oh, that guy was awesome with like all the question mark, all the all of his cards like hurt his own guys, his yeah, own he team. Was bonkers. It was pretty. Anyway, nice. let's 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 not <laughs> get too far down that. <laughs> Uh, I love the. I I also love the concept. I think it's really cool, and uh, I hope I can uh, either Zane or myself can eventually come on your podcast because that sounds like a lot of fun. I mm-hmm. think that is in the cards. Um, that'd be great. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, if you would like to, let's go back to Johnny Quest. Yeah. Possibly sure. fostering some ideas for an eventual Johnny Quest theme park. <laughs> <laughs> I I was thinking about that as I was watching a few episodes this week. I was like, this you could totally put you know, the part guest in the role of this. Uh, he must this be this family. all-American to ride. <laughs> enter the enter the hall of parental abandonment. <laughs> totally. So to get back into... Uh, yes. To get back into Johnny Quest, the uh, the comic book artist who spearheaded it, Wildy... Doug Wildy. Was, yeah, was originally asked to design a series based on the radio drama character Jack Armstrong... The all-American boy, which itself was just a ploy to sell Wheaties, is is so great. Uh, but he couldn't get the rights, so they, so the um, he rewrote Barbera it. Told him to just go home and write a new one, and he created Johnny Quest that night, which, in his words, was not that tough. Yeah, and this spared us from plot lines where Johnny saves the day with the help of a balanced breakfast. Oh, jeez, yeah, that would have been such a sad future for, or, you know, sad retro future for this series if that had been the way they went <laughs> retro like, <they> just... future <laughs> <laughs> so uh be uh it, it, this is an interesting uh show to look back on because everybody knows it it inspired other adventure themed shows such as scooby-doo and things like that and you see references to it all the time um however the original broadcast only had one season 
Mm-hmm. And it was because, for whatever reason, it just wasn't very popular. And uh, that meant, unfortunately, it could never produce action figures. <laughs> well, However, if you guys will go to www.johnnyquest.tv, some hero <laughs> uh, named Roger Evans created this fan site and uh, made these action figures himself. Oh, wow. And recreated the entire intro trailer to Johnny Quest with the action figures. Wow. <laughs> and it looks awesome. That's pretty great. That is amazing. I love that. So yeah, this is uh this is really interesting that like it, it touched so many people. He he goes on to say that like um you know, things like He-Man and G.I. Joe and things like that would later try to rip this off and do kind of a poor job. And I can understand why you would think so. Like this show is very expressive and unique. Yeah. At least at the time. And Absolutely. The the animation and the action is just it's fascinating for how old this series is, like it's amazing what they got away with and how much they could they could do on their very first like action series. That, that's part of the reason why it only did last one season. They didn't have the budget because at the time Hanna Barbera was really focusing on okay, we're we're in the prime time of Flintstones. We got a bunch of spinoffs coming on, you know, different shows of that ilk, and this is a very different show whose art style requires a lot more work, which is why they had to do a bunch of. Um, Time time cutting measures with the animation, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. I bet that if this had happened like after Star Wars and like the advent of like mm-hmm. having really good action figures that premiere with your series, like they would have made so much more money off of this show. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, this it, was not quite in the height of market madness yet. Exactly, it just came out a little bit too early. Potentially, it was about a decade early. Mm-hmm. It was a simpler time. It was <laughs> a pure. Time. So, uh, Andrew, I gotta ask, what what uh, what drove you to? Um, want to talk about this show as opposed to any other um well i I really like animation in general there's all kinds of series that i'm into but this is one that i feel like is underappreciated in a lot of different ways and uh just the animation style is the main thing that sticks with me along with the music those two things just transcend almost any other cartoon all the way up to the modern times like the animation quality as far as i'm concerned is like rarely ever met with with television animation um i know it's, it's still limited and everything but um it's just there's some some magical quality to it where it ties me into like old comic books, which is I grew up on like my dad's comic books from like the mm-hmm. 70s and stuff. So it oh, just, yeah. that art style really, really gets me in the gut. And it, it just really uh, is thrilling because I love the action of it. I love radio serials like uh, Philip Marlowe and stuff. And so this this show is basically a combination of that old comic book art style with the you know adventure of of serial uh, adventure radio plays which i'm really into. i mean th- this show is in a lot of ways like your podcast and that is just pure wish fulfillment <laughs> That's like true. you have this one idea that you really want to indulge in mm-hmm. and it's like this uh this you know wide-eyed boy-like sense of wonder at all the adventures you can have in your world and just kind of kind of just following that through to its conclusion yeah and it, you're right about it being like a comic book it really does feel like it and that's where the art was was really it, it, that's the words in my sentence are wording. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're keeping that in. Good. It was, you can tell that it was heavily inspired by comics. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. There we go. <laughs> yeah, heavily inspired by comics and radio drama. And, um, like, the art style is very, like, they use a lot of very heavy, deep, dark lines mm-hmm. to outline all the characters. It really does feel like they're trying to make them sort of realistic as opposed to... You know, we just 
got done talking about Popeye, which is like he's a you know, he's got a he, he's a he's got a very mundane profession. He's a sailor, but he also has superpowers and acts like a stretch Armstrong at times. Whereas these characters feel very well defined and real because mm-hmm. of a number of things that they did. Well, at the same time, the entire setting that they're in is, you know, a pu- purely just a James Bond movie. It's fantastical. Right. It's it's yeah, spy fi exactly. like because it's it's spy and science fiction mixed together. So like the te- that's awesome. The technology replaces any super you know superhero powers that you might expect from a, an action series like this. It's hmm. it's just technology. They're regular people. I mean, sure, like Doctor Quest is you know extremely smart, and like everyone has their their uh, strengths and weaknesses and stuff, but they're all still human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and and it. It has a lot of variety in terms of the stories it can tell because they can go anywhere in the world. Um, They have access to sort of futuristic technology. And if you look at the Wikipedia page, there's so many, like, inspirations. Uh, It it felt like Wildey was just throwing together everything he thought was cool, and it all fits. Absolutely. Yeah. It's cohesive. It's surprisingly uh, cohesive of the show. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. So let's, uh, let's get into the plot of the show and... I think we I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Um so we'll we'll just we'll I'm going to try to keep us on a little bit of a uh, rails, but uh don't worry about uh going off uh going off to the side if we need to. Yeah. Cool. So Zane or or Andrew. Huh. Andrew, why don't you give us the plot? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Do it. All right. So um <laughs> the, a lot of this is like they they didn't outline these details within the show itself, like as far as like what happened to Johnny's mom, how did these people come together? You know, like, where did Haji come from? Where did race come from? It's just, here are these four guys. Um, Dr. Benton Quest, who is Johnny's dad, is a it's just an incredible scientist who seems to be needed in every corner of the world at all times to work on these different Everything. scientific <laughs> endeavors. Yeah, he does every branch of he's science. He's the world's only scientist. That's, yeah. that's what it feels like. Like, he's trying to put out fires on every continent every single day. Um which, Doesn't it almost feel like he's also a secret agent, given how much like the U.S. government is depending on his like silence? It, yeah, it is weird, isn't it? And maybe that's why Race is there, just to keep him quiet and make sure oh, he, he doesn't sell any you know inside secrets. He's to... his keeper. I think oh. that might be it. That's always been that's one of my amazing. fan theories. Is he's there to keep an eye on on you know Doctor Quest, but also the kids as well, because those kids have a lot of like crazy like secrets where if they fall into or the wrong like hands a, it could be or as like a silent threat like yeah. okay i'm gonna be here if you tip off the wrong person just mm-hmm. remember my close proximity to your only son <laughs> exactly yeah it's this, it's this whole creepy. show feels very hush hush like like we're looking at some top secret documents mm-hmm. yeah like uh which is why like something you don't that get got that. covered up 30 years ago that's not just now coming to light and that's one of the reasons why we don't get that sort of information like what happened to his mom and you know what do they yeah, do it's in been their redacted it, it, yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but uh, but continue. Um, so they basically, because Doctor Quest ne- is needed in all these places all over the world. Um, you know the 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 boys, what Haji and Johnny don't necessarily have time to go to like a traditional schooling experience. So they're pretty much just on the road following Doctor Quest around, and then Race Bannon is there to be their their guardian, their uh, tutor, and just kind of take care of of the family. So he's he's like a if James Bond was your mom, 
Um, <laughs> a, little, a little bit, yeah. He's he's an amazing character. He's definitely my favorite and, you know, was, like, definitely, like, one of my role models when I was a kid. Like, I want to be, like, Ray Spannon someday. He um, just knows everything cool. Yeah, he's incredible. He's unstoppable. He can he can think as, like, he's almost as smart as Dr. Quest. He doesn't know as much, like, science-y stuff, but he can figure out how to outsmart, like, you know, these world, like, top-tier bad guys. And uh, I, I ain't got time for that mumbo-jumbo scientician stuff, but I, I can <laughs> judo-chop anybody. Exactly. He, uh, he, he would become the inspiration for uh, Brock Sampson in The Venture Brothers. Nice. And uh, interesting, I mean, pretty much the entire cast is the inspiration for The Venture Brothers. You have Dr. Thaddeus as Venture, as Dr. Benton Quest. Um, uh, Brock Sampson is the bodyguard, and then you have the two kids. And Interestingly, and I just wanted to throw this in because I thought it was interesting, the, uh, in Venture Brothers, they originally didn't have the rights to use the characters from Johnny Quest, so they made up the original cast, mm-hmm. and then later received the rights, and so they threw Johnny in as a drug addict. <laughs> yeah, I've seen because, that episode. That was crazy. they love ruining everything. Yeah. Yeah, because he was, like, scarred by all the violent missions his dad took him on. Yeah. I mean, you talk about realism, but... <laughs> this is yeah. not this is not a place for a child. It's a different realism. Yeah. It was the and, six, it was a different time. Right? The their Haji character is named like Raji and he like uh works at a call center in India and I was like, mm, this seems like pretty lazy writing to me right here. <laughs> not, <laughs> not great. Yeah. But I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I could see why Haji would not necessarily want to hang out with the quest anymore after years and years of these like like terrifying adventures you know i mean that's what that's what venture brothers is all about is that uh dr thaddeus venture used to be basically johnny quest but mm-hmm. the it does things the weight of his the weight of his uh parents expectations as a child has kind of left him adrift as uh as he's grown up and so it's it's all about like coasting on his father's coattails and failing at everything he does wow yeah but we're not talking about venture brothers we're talking about johnny quest so um I guess let's talk about the characters in the show. The characters in this are actually really solid as a family unit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how you guys felt about this, but I think that this is kind of the core of Johnny Quest. The fantastical adventures are how they express it, but the core is this incredibly solid working family unit despite being very non-traditional in a number of ways. And the relationship between them, between the characters, is more interesting than any individual character, except maybe race. Um, <laughs> Most interesting man in the world. Mm-hmm. Just the way that they, the the way that they work together and help each other out of these situations is, is what you come back for. Yeah. yeah, definitely. The the dynamic is is really pretty fascinating. Like, and you know, when you're a kid and you're like looking at it through Johnny or Haji's eyes, it's like this would be the most exciting way to live a life ever. And then, you know, as an adult looking at it, like, what if, you know, seeing, like, the parallels between your own life and, like, Dr. Quest's life, where it's like, man, my job just, like, kind of, like, rips me from here to there, and, like, all of the the negative side effects of working too much that it can have on your family, where they're not necessarily being chased by lizard people and stuff like that, but, you know, maybe they don't get to see you as much as they should, and, like, there's some some real hardships that can kind of come from that, and, like, that's where the, uh, the Harvey Birdman episode comes from, I think, is, like, fans of that series being like these kids like never see their dad it's just they would <laughs> yeah. race all the time and uh yeah exactly yeah I, I actually saw him like that first as well mm-hmm. um, i saw dr benton quest as very dismissive maybe even disdainful of his role as a parent mm-hmm. but i kind of been flip-flopping back and forth on it like it seems like he's 
it's actually kind of a standard dynamic for a family yeah. whose father is the breadwinner winner and uh you know uh, the 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 role of housekeeper is relegated to raise bannon mm-hmm. and again i don't see it as like a sexual thing it's just like division of labor that actually seems okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of interesting if you want to like look at this through kind of a darker lens like the fact that um ben quest's wife died like the original i guess story was that she died of some disease but then in the like 90s they changed the story where there was like an explosion that dr zinn caused and she died in this explosion Ugh, but either way that's stupid i know don't make don't make it like that yeah <laughs> but she's dead either way and so i feel like dr quest like diving into his work and like pouring all over his work almost like batman like you know like my you yeah. know most important things are gone from my life so this is all i have now and then he kind of doesn't want to look at his kid anymore because it like reminds him of his like deceased wife it's like ooh. Like yeah. absolutely spooky as, stuff. As you as you watch more episodes, I think the feeling that you're supposed to get is that Doctor Quest does care about Johnny. He's just not very good at expressing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and, pretty normal way, for the this, '60s, I think. Yeah, this uh, this idea of getting rid of the mother is a pretty prevalent one in these kinds of shows. In Defenders of the Earth, I believe, right out. Um, uh, what's his face? Uh, guy with a plane, Zane. Flash Gordon. Here. Flash Gordon. Yeah, his, his wife, wife dies, dies in the first episode and gets put into a computer. And now yeah, we don't need to computer. rehash this. <laughs> yeah, but like, right, right. But like, the, the the point I'm saying is that like the authors in this time period felt a need to unfetter the main kind of male like role model or like like a uh, leader, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, like what if what would Scooby Doo be like if if Velma and Daphne weren't there and it was just a you know four dudes and their dog, it might be a lot more action heavy, you know? Maybe mm. it's interesting. Yeah, that, they're always cracking jokes, making making locker room humor, sipping <laughs> beers, pouring it on the monster's head, <laughs> hazing him. That, that would be a fun series, actually, if it's like a um, monster, um, like a a Will Ferrell movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> We're just like flipping the script entirely, you know, post-college mystery solvers. And they're flipping the script entirely on their head. They're going and looking for monsters and the monsters just like want to be left alone. Mm -hmm. Like kind of they they become the actual monsters. Okay. Theme park idea. (laughs) Scooby-Doo, but you're the monster. Whoa. That sounds cool. You have to like keep people away from your, you know, illegal operation and... Yeah, there's just children running away from you at all times. Oh, yeah. so you get like a grab bag of things to scare people with. That'd like, be cool. There's there's, there's a costume thing. And you're like, okay, I want to look like a pirate, but maybe like like a mummy pirate. <laughs> <laughs> and there's secret corridors like behind the walls, and there's you know the paintings with the eyes cut out and all that kind of stuff. That's you can so try to like that. Sounds pretty cool because in the uh, the Scooby Doo episode of my podcast, we had a uh, trap building like workshop like. Uh, interactive game show kind of thing where you were like helping freddy design a trap and you would have like the audience members get to propose their idea of how they're going to catch this villain it'd be cool to see that from the villain's perspective i i like that idea (laughs) did you you guys have like a tour guides that were dressed up like the harlem globetrotters or don Knotts? i wish we we tried to kind of incorporate some of those like celebrity people um in the in the form of like we had like a training center when you first go through you learn how to solve mysteries and we're like well we could have you know like batman and robin could be there we could have like you could get guided by these celebrities from within the world like vincent van gold and those kinds of guys (laughs) it'd be pretty awesome i almost forgot about him again van gold fascinating character (laughs) yeah he's real special oh yeah definitely 
anyway, uh, getting back to the characters, uh, we didn't mention it, but Dr. Benton Quest is played by John Stevenson uh, in the first, like, five episodes, who is the same as the same voice as the captain of C-Lab 2020. Mm-hmm. Oh, Captain Murphy? Yeah, Captain Murphy. Who looks like Race Bannon. Yeah, weirdly. Kind of strange. But I mean, they were all kind of cut from the same cloth in this era. And that hair yeah. is just so cool. But uh, yeah, I, I, love that, I love that hair. I heard they had to change voice actors because they thought he sounded too much like Race Bannon's character. Is that what you guys have? Mm, I, I didn't realize that that was the reason. But, I guess uh, that was it, yeah. He did get replaced by Don Messick, who played uh, Papa Smurf, and also Hampton J. Pig in um, Tiny Toon Adventures, both of which we've dealt with before. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's and awesome. I, I think I like that better as a as a Benton quest. Yeah. Doctor quest. That, it feels more, like, scholarly. I agree with that. I, I'm okay with their, their decision to switch switch voice actors, which I know can be, like, a, a pretty shocking thing to, like, huge fans of the series. But I feel like sure. this far back, you know, in the 60s, like, they weren't really necessarily doing things for the adult fans as much who are going to notice when a voice actor changes. They're like, eh, you know what, we're just going to cut this guy and hire this other guy, like... The uh, the love of the craft wasn't exactly there as much as it is today. I think it was more more a business thing at Hanna Barbera back then. Well, well, it was also like these episodes are very standalone kind of episodic, uh, not in- installments like almost like standalone like James Bond movies. Very true. Way. Yeah, you're right. You so like they don't they don't characters. really need that continuity of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also might just be like from radio days, which were. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was much bigger back then, and there was much more of a need to have distinct voices. Yeah, it, yeah. And they would switch out the the actors once in a while in radio, but they would always declare it at the beginning. You know, like after they said the name of the series and who wrote it, they would say the actor who played the lead character, and and that never seemed like a big deal when they switched actors. It didn't seem like people were, you know, rioting in uh, the streets or anything. Uh, it's it's yeah. like a play, you know. Oh, right. the understudies here today. Yeah. No big deal. The same story is going to happen. They're they're still a really high quality actor. Yeah, you're not missing. Have out. you have you ever uh, heard uh, the podcast Thrilling Adventure Hour? I have heard it only a few episodes though. Do you guys like it? it yeah, quite a bit. Cool. Um, it, I it, haven't we, seen it or heard it. Yeah, it, I, I like it quite a bit. I listened to it a lot when I was back in um, working on a job at Telecom and uh, kind of had it through my comedy bang bang, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, obsession <laughs> and they always do their radio features like they dress it up like a radio feature yeah and they always do that kind of introduction of the main characters and their voice actors and it's really cool like mm-hmm. it really feels like they're ado- adopting that kind of presentation does a lot for it i love that format because you know reading is one thing but i think that listening to it instead can can add so much more to it and it, it maybe gets gets more people's imaginations going than just having a book available like mm-hmm. I really like that format of just radio drama. I think it's it's fascinating and it's much cheaper than doing animation. So, yeah. yeah. This yeah, this this show true. nicely nicely fuses the that sort of uh, audio teleplay um with comic book stuff. Like so you get all the depth of feeling and variety of sound and the great music of a radio show and the visuals like very very well crafted visuals of the of a comic book. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, I, I I would agree. Um, did have you guys heard of the uh, the backstory on on Doug Wildey? Like he was no. he was originally a, a comic artist. I, he was in the Navy and he started like r- drawing uh, cartoon strips for like the Navy like base newspaper. And then after World War II, he got into making comics and he worked for the company that would eventually turn into Marvel Comics. And he did like westerns and uh, fantasy like horror kinds of comics, but 
Uh, yeah, it, no it seemed. Way. Yeah, exactly. And you can kind of see where that art style would kind of come from, and it, it's just that era of of comics. And so then Hanna Barbera, you know, wanted him for some some character designs, and and they got him. And it seemed like it was a good combination. I mean, I guess he got to express himself a ton and had a huge impact in the way that the show went. But mm. you know, the the credits only say was it based on an idea by Doug. Wildy, I think that's what it says. Or yeah, yeah, he only was able to <laughs> he talk got him kinda, down to uh, based an idea, which is pretty sad. It's it's kind of sad. I, but... Yeah, I feel kind of bad for him. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, so two of of Doug's famous characters from his comic strips were um, Stretch Bannon and Race Dunhill. And so then when he had to come up with a character, Race Bannon, I guess you know he's got one night to come up with new characters. He's like, um, <laughs> we can take the race part from Race Dunhill and the Bannon part from Stretch Bannon. And we've got Race Bannon, and it's like it's I mean, so straightforward. That sounds way better than either of the other names. Yeah. Like, oh, work, absolutely. Work for Clark Kent. Yeah, that's so. That's so true. Let's talk about Race Bannon. Let's do it. So the, uh, this is voiced by Mike Road, and I love that he's assigned by the government to p- protect Johnny, mm-hmm. so that Benton isn't distracted by the work of being a single father. <laughs> right. Like that's his that's his job title. Is <laughs> you have to play den mother so that so that Doctor Benton Quest doesn't have to. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing because it's like he's he's there to protect the Quest family. He's also there to maybe keep an eye on them, and then he. Ends I mean, he's up... a glorified mistress a lot of the time. <laughs> True. I mean, not 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 in the sexual way, but right. like you know, never keep in the, sexual the house. Way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he does grow to have affection for for Johnny. You know, he he he's very protective in the sense that a real parent would. Mm-hmm. So the idea that he was assigned. You know, maybe maybe that's the technical explanation for it, but I feel like they bonded very quickly. Absolutely. I, I actually almost think that they might have just been friends from way back, and they pulled some strings to have him be the bodyguard role. That feel that feels more more right. I agree because they do just seem like friends who both like adventure, and who you know constantly are father figures for two kids who really like adventure. Like it's the weirdest family dynamic you can have. <laughs> It's so non-traditional. There's two men as the as the ha- household. There's Haji, you know, he's from a, a, he's an actual different race, like, and mm-hmm. they are treated relatively equally and fairly, mm-hmm. and they're always going on fucking adventures. Like, yes. this doesn't this is not traditional at all, but it still feels incredibly solid and real. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that race really enjoys his life. Like, if you think about it, he's he's like presumably like up there in years. He's got like solid white hair. And he definitely yeah. could have had a family. It's not like his job keeps him traveling the world all the time. Um, no, he's he's got a he's got a kid in every port. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> I could Pick definitely whichever one he wants. I could see him being popular with the ladies if he's ever got you know some uh, some shore duty or whatever. He's got time off, but right. but he's definitely adopted this family as his own, and it seems like he's totally content with that, and like just raises the boys as as his own, which is awesome. I do like to imagine that he's kind of trying to put his more violent ears behind him by doing something good. I like oh, that. Oh yeah. If this like was he used penance. to be like he used to be maybe not an assassin but like a like a secret agent who, who you know had to get the job done at any costs. Dude, that's an yeah. amazing angle because they're they're supposedly doing a live action movie eventually of of Johnny Quest and I think that'd be an awesome like modern interpretation of that. If you start out with, you know, Race Bannon like getting ready to retire and he's just like tired of all of the uh, crazy like secret agent stuff he's had to do and he's ready to retire and then they're like well we've got one more job for you <laughs> you need to raise these kids to adulthood and then you can retire 
18 more <laughs> years. So or this is another job. reason why you really have to check out Venture Brothers in detail is because the best parts about Race Bannon are the best parts about Brock Sampson. Awesome. And they meet. He, yeah, he, they meet oh, cool. at one point. He's like, he's the best secret agent I've ever known. <laughs> That's awesome. I love like, that. The best part about him is that he becomes extremely attached to this family, despite kind of being a living legend. Mm-hmm. He's relegating himself to this job, which will get him no glory. And it's because it's giving him something that he never got. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. That's true. Powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I really like him a lot. I also like his relationship with Dr. Quest. Um, the fact that they are divided in their responsibilities, but you also see them, you know, helping the other out a little bit. So it, it's not unusual to see Race helping Dr. Quest with, uh, not, not an experiment, but like put together, a, testing something. Put together a couch. Put together a couch. Um, but you can also see Dr. Quest, like, punching out a guy or doing some, you know, karate moves as needed. Yeah, and, and if we are listening to Dr. Quest explaining his technology, it's usually to race. Like, you know, he takes... He race ta- understands it. Yeah, he takes he takes interest in how in how Dr. Quest's day was. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he asks him how, he, how, the, how the lab was today. Mm-hmm. He cares. I know. I know. It's. I know. This science is very important to you. I'm going to try and learn a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to be invested. <laughs> Chrissy re- recently taught me how to uh, how to knit, and I have been just all in on it. Yeah, it's delightful. Good huh. for you. Uh, I I wouldn't. You don't strike me as the type. Oh no! It was great. I was at I was at a bar uh, a couple weeks ago in my overalls and Hawaiian shirt, just going to town knitting. Is this that is real? You know, Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is and then, a... and, then, and then a drunk Russian man played with my hair. Goodness. That sounds like but an did amazing Did he day. ask first? That's, that's fucking rude. <laughs> <laughs> grad school grad school's a special time for everyone. <laughs> the uh uh I, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, didn't mean I wonder to what about your story totally derailed me. <laughs> that's that's a cool story though. Cool tangent. Yeah, I like it. Um, so we're still on characters, right? We haven't done the yeah. Let's the young let's ones. go to Johnny Quest. Cool. The boys. The boys. The boys. This is voiced by Tim Matheson. Um, he's an all-American boy with like a Play-Doh factory molded haircut. <laughs> yeah, and, what uh, is that? I mean, how would you recreate that in real life? We need to. Ask, I don't know. A lot like, of gel. Doesn't he look like department? he was made to make a model? Like a like a like a like an action figure. He was like made to make an action figure of him. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, he, th- what I like about him is that he's got contagious enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, do you, Zane, do you remember we were talking about Monster Rancher and the main character, Genki, wasn't all that spectacular in any way, but he was very enthusiastic and it kind of got to me. Yeah, yeah. So, like, here, Johnny will say, like, I'm tired of studying. Hey, Haji, can you show me a magic trick? And Haji's like, you know, we really should be studying. And Johnny's like, come on. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> like, no, he never has to ask more than twice. Yeah, he's a master yeah. of peer pressure. <laughs> you could kind of see yeah, him he's like, becoming yeah, a con man someday. Like, Oh, yeah. yeah. Now that you phrase him as, like, a master of peer pressure, it makes me think of uh, Johnny from, like, the, like, Johnny sending him to the cornfield sort of Johnny. <laughs> But but instead of like magicking them to the cornfield, he just tells them to go sit in the cornfield. It could happen. That's so weird. <laughs> Do you guys like Johnny? Johnny Quest, the character. It's like asking if you like Wheaties. 
I, yeah, yeah. So I'm asking if you like Johnny Quest the character. He's he's okay. Um, I, I feel like, like Wheaties. <laughs> he doesn't have quite as much um, agency and like impact on the story, which I kind of wish he had more of. And I feel like in the later incarnations of Johnny Quest, they tried to make it more about him and less about the adults. Um, well, he's always like kind of like plot wise, he's always kind of the spanner in the works. Like you mm-hmm. can kind of track what Doctor Quest is doing. Mm-hmm. You can sort of track what Ray's Bannon is doing. Like they capture him sometimes. Johnny is like kind of this X factor that'll. He's almost like a team member, even though he's just like the kid that you're trying to protect. Yeah, he's like this the Scooby and Shaggy of of the Mysteries Incorporated group. <laughs> like yeah, he's he's up to his old ways again, and he's probably gonna like get into some trouble. Like. Um, yeah, yeah, but he he's okay. He's fine. He's not as interesting as the adults, I think. Um, or you know, but I do think that he, I, I do think that he's necessary. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like you couldn't have just the adults. Like we, we kind of alluded to it in our intro, but we you do kind of need him as uh, just someone whose eyes to look through at the yeah. world. Totally, and he's a little too golly gee whiz for me. <laughs> right, he's pretty um, white. He's, he's kind of Richie Rich. He's very white. Um. <laughs> Like, I, like, if he's going to be this chaotic element who's, you know, sometimes just applies the right amount of force to help the whole thing work out, I would have liked it to to have him not be so naive and wide-eyed. It makes it feel random. Mm-hmm. Would you like it better if they just kind of picked up a urchin kid, like, Prince of Persia style, and just kind of raised him as their own? Well, then you wouldn't need the setup for any, any of the other relationships. Like, Dr. Quest true. could just, just do his work. You know, race bandit wouldn't be there at all. I don't like, know. Need... I, I think you could make an. I think you can make an argument out of it. I, I think you need the character of Johnny. I think that there were ways to improve upon him, but maybe it was just the style at the time. Like, <laughs> what do you think of when you think of a fine young American boy? Yeah, it is very like cleaving pretty closely to that all American boy root. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I totally respect that. Yeah. I I like him more in um, Future Quest, which is the current like Hanna Barbera DC Comics series. Because he and Haji are are generally separated from all the adults, it's them and maybe a couple of other kids um, trying to face the same huge like monstrosities that the adults are trying to fight. But um, so he has a lot more agency and gets to make a lot more decisions and things in that series, which yeah, is, is pretty I, cool. I think I would like. I think I would like that more. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a fucking drive-in movie, like B movie, sci-fi, like flick, like Future Quest. Um, that's ex- pretty much exactly what it is. They they take all of these like Saturday morning Hanna Barbera cartoons and they're like, okay, but then what if they were all fighting the same Lovecraftian monster who is like mashing their worlds together and it's it's really cool like there's a point where space ghost is injured and he like gave gives his little um his bracer things that like allow him to shoot like that magic photon energy yeah, or whatever yeah he like attaches that to race bannon's arm so then race is like can do like a punching <laughs> motion and like launch like lasers out of his fist and stuff it's it's, it's so cartoon, good. Network. cartoon network did super smash brothers <laughs> this is everything i've ever wanted <laughs> it's really cool it's a it's a cool comic book series it's it's in print right now it's uh it's fun stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm more devoted to cartoons than comics, mm-hmm. um, just kind of by virtue of having this podcast now. Yeah. Uh, so I'm used to crossover. I'm used to crossovers happening for things like cartoons. Mm-hmm. But I feel like comic books, I, I see it a little bit less, except for in the extremely old ones where, like, He-Man fights Superman or something garbage like that. Right. Oh, crossovers and, are everywhere. I, I mean, yeah, they, I guess they are. I mm-hmm. just... 
I hadn't thought of one that was so grandiose in scope as to include everybody. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm a huge fan of, of cartoons before comics for sure, but just that this one was all Hanna-Barbera characters. I, I read that they were going to be doing like new Flintstones awesome. and then this one, which is a big crossover, and then there's uh, Wacky Raceland. And oh, like, yeah. it's, Wacky it's, Raceland? It's pretty cool. Yeah, and that one's really scary. It's like pray, Mad pray Max tell, style. Andrew, what is Wacky Raceland? Okay, so you remember Wacky Racers. Wacky Racers, or Wacky Races, I forget what the original Penelope series was. Pit Stop. It was, the other guy. It's like they wanted to make a we Mario We got a Polynesian Kart. fellow, an Irish guy. We got... <laughs> no, Ben, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Zane, with a name like Wacky Races. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was it was basically like a, a, a maybe Speed Racer inspired kind of show where they just took a bunch of like Hanna Barbera characters they had laying around and uh, made them all in this huge huge race. Um, it, that was I just remember the their cars kept on like releasing tax to blow out the car behind them, and like every car did that. Yeah, the original Mario Kart. It's it's basically. like Mario Kart, Speed Racer, and Hanna Barbera had like a weird love child. Um, I really think that given how goofy Hanna-Barbera is, like, they should definitely just do as many of these stupid crossover things as possible. They should. And, like, they no one so takes much. them seriously because they're not supposed to be taken seriously, so they just do whatever you want. I, I, I like Hanna-Barbera for that reason where it's, like, kind of sugary and, you know, fun and, like, you don't have to think about it too much, but... These new Listen comics. Up, everyone, our character is Hong Kong Fu, the number one super guy. He is a dog that does kung fu and a, talks like a jive turkey. He is a, a dog janitor, and he jumps in a filing cabinet. And man, I, I used to love that show, but it is so ridiculous now. And you're like, what? What if he had a crossover with El Kabong? <laughs> See, yeah. that that works for me. I'm down with that. They they totally exist in the same universe. Yeah, that would be great. But uh, receiving these... transmission messages from his boy Elroy. <laughs> That'd be cool. See, I wish it was more in the like Hanna Barbera style, which Future Quest is pretty much Hanna Barbera ish. There's nothing too crazy, but a lot of the other Hanna Barbera cartoon or comics that they're doing right now, like Scooby Apocalypse and Wacky Raceland. <laughs> Shut up! Seriously, that's the name of the. Shut comic. up! <laughs> it's what if it's it's a new origin story of the Scooby Doo like gang. That is nonsense. They meet after monsters take over the world, and most of the world's population has turned into monsters. And Velma was it's like behind. It's not a mystery it. anymore. It's that's not a mystery. That's it's, not even it's fair. Like, like they've done. It's basically done Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, but what the? F- you can't do a name like Scooby Apocalypse. They pretty much just wanted to do another uh, Walking Dead series, I think. And so they're like, let's make this uh, Scooby-Doo, whatever. And Wacky Raceland is pretty much Mad Max. They're like, let's make a really dark, post-apocalyptic Mad Max and call it Wacky Raceland. And it's got the same I, characters from the Hanna-Barbera series, but it's really scary and dark. And I think like, I need to subscribe to all of these immediately. This is so, that's so stupid. It's really dumb. That's like Howard I, the Duck showing up in the Avengers right, movies. Right, right. Nonsense. It's it's a wink that doesn't make any sense and it's just yeah. frankly inappropriate. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I guess if you are doing like this Hanna Barbera, okay, anything mm-hmm. goes, do whatever you want. I guess I do have to leave the door open for Scooby Apocalypse. <laughs> but... Future Quest, I would recommend, but the rest of them are a little weird. It's it's just a weird <laughs> mashup. You know. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's great. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So Haji. Haji. Yes. <laughs> Um, Thank you for that. <laughs> oh sure, you know I had to get that in somewhere because I do. I absolutely love Future Quest. It's awesome, but the rest of them, meh. yeah. I'm gonna have to remember Future Quest. Yeah, it's, so it's really good. Um. um so yeah, yeah, Haji, a 
the technical term haji means someone who's successfully like completed a pilgrimage to Mecca. Uh, really? For yeah, for mm-hmm. Muslims. So I don't know if that was already kind of a derogatory term, or if that's happened because everyone in the military grew up watching Johnny Quest, but. It seems like when people come back from, you know, tours of duty in the Middle East, they use the word haji to represent, like, enemy combatants. Like, it seems... I was not aware of that. Yeah, and I don't know if that's just a local Mm. thing, like, just some of my friends that I know who have gone to, like, fight, you know, whatever military stuff. And, like, that's a word that people use to represent people of, you know, Middle Eastern descent. And I don't know if it's racist or if it's actually this technical term, haji, that they're trying to use. So... It sounds kind of I'm racist, sure. but it might be based on a real, real thing that like is actually important to Muslims. I'm not sure. So well, given uh, that, yeah, go ahead, Zane. Given given that the Haji in this show is Indian, mm-hmm. I I think it was think just, just general like 60s. We don't know other cultures. We'll make it up. Mm-hmm. Well, they especially don't know other cultures because they don't even try to make it up. They just make Johnny Quest again. Yeah, <laughs> but, but now but he's with superpowers. Indian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, with like vaguely Indian themed cultural superpowers. Yeah, which is really cool, and it, it like he's the only superpowered character in the whole series, as far as I can remember, as far as the, the <laughs> I, which is weird because it's supposed to be going for realism, right? I I, I have <laughs> to admit, like I expected to be offended more by Haji than I actually <laughs> yeah. was. But speaking yeah. of wacky races, you know how Indians all have magical powers and <laughs> That's right. charm snakes. They're all snake charmers. <laughs> they can make you levitate, like yeah, you oh know my those God. wacky Indians. Oh jeez. Yeah, but like, which which is weird because like he's not. Like, aside from his superpowers, he is just another kid that follows them around. He is not distinguished from yeah. Johnny Quest and, kind and of in any meaningful way. Aside from yeah. the snake charming stuff, they're pretty, like, sensitive to his culture and stuff. Like, I was surprised, based, you know, based on this show, it's from 1964. I thought it'd be a little bit more uh, cringeworthy. A little retrograde. Yeah, I thought the the uh, race racial relations would be a little yucky, but they're not too bad with Haji. He's totally cool. Like, they, they don't look down upon him at all. They totally see him as an equal and... I think that's relatively progressive for back then, especially when you look at a lot of the villains who are just kind of like ethnic stereotypes as far as their their character I mean, one, designs. One yeah. can make the argument <laughs> that miss. Haji is essentially mm-hmm. just a white kid with an accent. That's true. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I mean, per- temperament wise. Yeah, like he's, he's all Amer- he's an all American Indian, if he you is. will. And and we don't know how long he's been in country or how long he's lived with the quests necessarily, but mm-hmm. um, I guess the creators were inspired by an actual Indian actor, this guy mm-hmm. Sabu. Yeah. So it's not like they were just like, oh, let's you know color one of them yeah. brown or something. It, it like, wasn't arbitrary, right, But it right. appeared kind of as such. They had some yeah. kind of attachment to this other culture they actually wanted to represent, which seems unusual for Hanna-Barbera in the 60s, but I'm, I'm really glad they did that, and I love Haji as a character. Yeah, he's, he's the voice of reason a lot of times. He's very wise. Yeah, he's he's not too bad. Uh, I don't think that he's precisely the pinnacle of cultural sensitivity, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he's not as bad as I had expected from the 60s. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. also voiced by someone named Danny Bravo, yeah. who I imagine Johnny is Bravo? Johnny Bravo's <laughs> younger brother. <laughs> that, I mean, you could, you could see how someone would just be a fan of animation and see johnny quest title card and then like two slides later it says um was it johnny what's his last name or what's uh, his first quest? name i mean bravo danny danny, danny bravo, bravo. you'd be like oh, oh johnny quest danny bravo johnny bravo <laughs> they keep doing it yeah just mushing the <laughs> they only have together. one trick like race bannon yeah it's kind of weird yeah this is second time that's ridiculous <laughs> mm-hmm. weird Did stuff you guys want to talk about dr zinn at all dr zinn is cool I... Yeah, I liked him. It, it was nice to have an actual evil force 
doing things rather than just like you know a bunch of people teamed up to do like the ones where dr zinn were, were there mm -hmm. had a much more clear reason that mm -hmm. everything was happening yeah there, there was a motivation and i think that's uh that's cogent because um he's not precisely an evil overlord you know uh what was the who who was the villain in defenders of the earth uh Ming the Merciless. Ming the Merciless. He was, he's not like something like that or a dark side. He is just a Bond villain. Mm -hmm. He's very and, much connected to that like Dr. No kind of kind of thing where he just sends out yeah, villains the, to fight for him. Doug Wilde even tied cited James Bond movie Dr. No as inspiration for this show. Mm. Hmm. Uh, and, and it's kind of through him that I want to discuss the theme and genre of this show, which is very much an expansion of the like uh, as you said the spy fi paradigm mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's the the thing is it's expanded to appeal to children which is why we have johnny quest and this familial dynamic but the show follows a sort of secret agent build-up like in, in its plot structure shit goes wrong the government doesn't know what to do so they have to hand have their guy handle it covertly yeah mm -hmm. the series is framed as this quest file so they're like we some we need to solve this thing, no one else can do it. Get Doctor Quest. Yeah. Um, and generally, the first few minutes of an episode don't have the Quest family. We get long establishing shots. We yeah. get officials talking about some secret plan. Like it is Bondish in the sense that he is a very reactive hero, and it almost feels like a like a murder mystery show, like Columbo, where mm -hmm. you see the murder and then yeah. you're like, "Come on, you can put it together. We know you can do this." <laughs> it's also just more like a movie like a spy movie type of uh like presentation you were saying how it spends 10 minutes before we even get to dr quest which is a bit of an exaggeration but it's you know not that bad and i, I never saw them show up before like the four minute mark definitely like they spend like the first four minutes like establishing what the crime or biological well, what what the adventure will be like oh yeah, what the adventure we're gonna be is. in this biome we're dealing with robots everything or is monsters very clearly or... motivated everything has stakes everything is well fleshed out before his family even steps onto the stage yeah and yeah. it's much more like cinematic than a lot of you know made for tv cartoons especially back mm -hmm. then like this aired in prime time and i don't think there are many other shows that were this plot heavy and had like you know relatively well-rounded characters like they're still um not exactly someone you want to root for but it's they have a motivation generally they have a plan and there's a different locale every week. They're not just reusing the same backgrounds. It's like they're in a real country that actually exists on our planet. So there was just a lot more realness to to this world and to every single episode. I love that about it. I, I'm especially amazed by the slow build because of how hard it would be to sell to a modern audience. Yeah, yeah. All of our kind of modern cartoons, you want to see your favorite characters immediately because they are the cartoon. And uh, this is something that we saw in part in Samurai Jack. I've been going back and rewatching it a lot because it premieres, the final season pre premieres tonight, and I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. And Zane, we're going to have to do a feature. You know it's going to happen. I've, I've been making a list of, <laughs> of reboots that we need to check up on. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so the, uh, the, the thing about Samurai Jack is that it doesn't have to focus on Samurai Jack. The presentation is very daring. Sometimes it won't have him at all until the very end of the episode. Like, it'll talk about a bunch of bounty hunters trying to figure out how to catch him. He won't be there at all. And it's just, I really appreciate how daring that is. And it probably wasn't that daring back then. It was probably how you do a radio broadcast. But phrased, uh, phrased through the eyes 
of somebody who's grown up with these very character focused mm-hmm. senses of humor and plot structure um seeing something that looks more like a secret agent drama is is just exceptional i think and they oh, go ahead oh sorry go ahead i, I feel like oh, you are you are our <laughs> guest sorry I i'll like... keep talking oh okay go ahead <laughs> no, no no i'm joking go i ahead. feel like pow, pow. i feel like by focusing on not so much just the characters all the time those shows that that do this kind of technique are generally much more well received. Like you mentioned, Samurai Jack, Johnny Quest was you know hugely influential, or shows like um, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Like oh, it's yeah. not just about the core group. There's a lot of of story of world building and building the story and setting the the groundwork for what the villain's trying to do. And I think that adds a lot more enjoyment for people who are older. Yeah, yeah. I think it, Avatar: Last Airbender is a bit different in that they do the world building through their main characters. Mm-hmm. Like they go to a new location and then we see what it's about. Right, that's true. Yeah, so, whereas this is doing have... it entirely divorced from the from yeah, the characters. You're right. The the we see a bunch of government officials who give them the plans. Right, they're usually not even in the same continent as the action until the action's already happened. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's and, so weird that they spend four minutes being like. All we need to introduce is get me Doctor Bannon or Doctor Race <laughs> like, or uh, Doctor Doctor Venture Doctor Quest. Um, they well, they really understand how this like exploratory wish fulfillment works because first they establish you know the place and the conflict, and then once they once the Quest family gets there, Johnny will like wander around this exotic locale and and like take in the environment before, before the plot starts up again. Yeah. Like he's exploring things the way we would explore things if we like if we had time to just sort of like take things in. And he does it in a way that highlights the technology used. Did you guys notice that? I hadn't really yeah. thought about that. So he's constantly, like, they're talking about, go back to the hydrofoil or check out this laser, Johnny. You know, the the tech that's used was considered, they they made it so that it would be considered about 10 years futuristic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is crazy. It's grounded. Yeah, it's it's ground, it's sort of like the Spider-Man paradigm where uh, you use whatever the technology that isn't understood at the time, that's the source of his powers. Mm -hmm. So that can be radiation, that can be genetic engineering. And it makes it feel very much like, you know, science-y wish fulfillment. We've talked about it before, how, you know, kids actually do like science. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of phrasing it in the right way. Very and true. it also feels like a spy movie, which is generally a test of wills against someone with good science versus someone with bad science. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I think that that kind of, like, popular science aspect to it is really exciting and, like, um, can kind of inspire the imaginations of the kids who are going to be, you know, going to play Johnny Quest after this show's over. Like, yeah. um, they can, it, it opens their imagination to like, what other kinds of weapons, what other kind of, of, you know, um, vehicles could we be using in the next episode of Johnny Quest? Cause you never know what kind of new technology they'll have. It's, it's thrilling. Have, have you ever, I don't know if you'd listened to our Mega Man episode, but we had discussed how this is sort of a natural dramatic plot line to develop once you develop this new technology that only a couple people know about, mm-hmm. like the, the sort of nuclear power allegory. You only have a couple people who can wield this technology and they are put on center stage even if they're not ready for it. Yeah, and that's a really thrilling uh, storytelling device. I think that's, that's, that's really yeah. exciting. It happens in the Avengers movie, like you know mm-hmm. Nick Fury saying how like we've entered a new stage they have to be the ones who fight this battle that we can't. Yeah. Um, have you ever heard of the graphic novel Global Frequency? No. What's that? Zane, about? I think I made you read this. Mm-hmm. 
this is a, a, a worldwide organization that realizes that um, people are stumbling upon these new forms of technology at such a rapid pace, there's no way that a centralized government can handle them all. So mm-hmm. instead, we will have a, you know, not-for-profit, volunteer-only organization filled with people of every specialization, and whenever a problem arises, we're like, you, you're closest, you know parkour, and how to crack <laughs> safes, get over there and do this job. Wow, that sounds It's awesome. so cool. Yeah, yeah, and like little vignettes of, of how the organization works. I wanted to plug that because I think it's really cool, and I don't see it getting a lot of hype. I'm looking that up right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I think it's by one of my favorite uh, artists as well. I think it's by, um, or, or writers. Uh, I think it's by the same guy who did um, Transmetropolitan, but I can't remember. Uh, is that Warren Ellis? Warren Ellis, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's by Warren Ellis. Might cool. not be. Awesome. Anyway, well, yeah, we'll I, I went out. totally off topic for that. <laughs> That's okay, guys. <laughs> yeah, totally. You said we were allowed to, so you're allowed to, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I gave myself an out. <laughs> we, we, give him, we give him three. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> So, um, so, tone and genre. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the one other thing that I wanted to mention is, um, you know, they're they're usually up against you know the the bad guy and his henchmen, and it's not you know th- this is a this was the '60s. It was a manlier time, right? And <laughs> they're so, always tackling each other. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not like oh we've incapacitated them or oh you know they won't be bothering us again. It's like. We just saw five men explode. Yeah, we murdered that guy. <laughs> like we shot shirt, that guy and killed him. Yeah, red shirt mooks die constantly. It's really strange. You you never see that in other cartoons. And like, I always knew that Scooby Doo was created as kind of a, a reaction to having too much violence in cartoons. But then you go back and watch Johnny Quest, and you're like, oh, they just killed all the henchmen. Like this is like an Uncharted video game or something. It's like, well, if, if a bad guy's coming, just kill him. Like you're a good guy. Um, There's no blood, but right. Mm-hmm. He he's unambiguously dead. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah. It's 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 unusual for cartoons. Like even modern cartoons don't necessarily have like that much violence and stuff. It's kind of crazy, and not like, like violence, you get not the, gore. But I like that you get the idea that uh, Race Bannon is trying to kind of shield Johnny from the, you know, the <laughs> grislier aspects of the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like he's not snapping their necks right in front of the kid. Like he he's just like letting their boat sink and conveniently wandering away. That's true. Look away, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want you looking away, Johnny. Boy's got to grow up sometime. <laughs> Take these henchmen out back. This is your birthright. <laughs> this is your birthright? What? Yeah. Like he's got to inherit the family business someday. <laughs> Snap some neck. What is the family business? He's just vague Killing scientist. <laughs> <laughs> he's a very vague scientist. He just knows all science. It'd be kind of cool if, you, if uh, Race had a, a son who was, like, trying to become, you know, a, a mercenary, like a kind of Race Bannon type <laughs> yeah. character. So he's, like, trying to get in fights all the time and then... Giving Johnny fun. swirlies. <laughs> nerd. <laughs> Go look in your book, nerd. All right, Chase, today I'm going to teach you about the jugular. <laughs> Chase is a perfect name. If your dad's Chase name is Race, is your name is Chase. <laughs> well, the, I think the Suits originally movie. wanted to call him Race Chase. Oh, my God. And that was just voted down because yeah. that sounds terrible. Sounds I really think they were trying to call him Race uh, Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> I could um, see the uh, uh, um, Johnny Quest Apocalypse series making more sense than Scooby-Doo Apocalypse. Like, I feel like 
watching the... Oh, we had Future Quest? Quest Apocalypse. There, there we you go. go. Exactly. That's the next series. It's <laughs> the Scooby gang all gets killed by the monsters, and then the quests have to figure out a way of rebuilding humanity after all these like weird zombie creatures have taken over. Which leads nicely into the Flintstones. <laughs> The uh, the new Flintstones comic is pretty cool too, by the way. Is it? Yeah, it honestly is. Like, um, I haven't read any of it. I've just read some reviews of it. But but they're saying it's it's just a you know how it's supposed to be like a sitcom basically. So they're they're just doing like a modern sitcom basically, setting it through this Flintstones world. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. one of the like promotional pictures I've seen is of um, Fred and what's his wife's name Wilma. Yeah. yeah, Fred and Wilma, and they're taking a selfie. And if you look at the uh, image on the phone screen it's the original like animation style that they drew and it's like mm-hmm. as if that had just been pecked out by a bird or something it's oh that's great. It was pretty cute mm-hmm. i was like that seems like it would have been on the original series you're you're gonna turn me into that weirdo who has a bunch of comic books but they're all like adaptations of 60s cartoons um that's what i have all i have is like ultraman um and then uh, Hanna barbera godzilla and then there's a few power ranger ones thrown in but that's me. I don't follow any like superhero things very much. It's just just the weird ones that come out. Same, same. We're already those people. Like our our our. Yeah, but I don't have a paper trail. Well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, well, we do have the immortalization of the podcast, um, showing that Zane, our our experience with the Flintstones is the movie, the Flintstones meet the Jetsons. God, some of our finest work. <laughs> um, so we should we should get into what really makes this show special the animation and the audio yeah mm-hmm. uh, and i got a lot of information here i want to i want to cite sources there is a fan amateur documentary on youtube by ron vale mm. um and it's it's got a lot of great information about the show yeah this this documentary actually i saw it um several years ago and it inspired me to start blogging like for a while i ran really? an, an animation blog yeah it's it's a really good documentary like you can kind of tell it's it's fan-made quality but the the information is fascinating and the storytelling's really good within it so that really got me into mm-hmm. researching the history of animation and got me into Hanna barbera and that that documentary for for being as um you know fan-made as it is it just it's fascinating it's really well made um What's i love it, it again? i actually can't it's remember johnny quest documentary really nice it's like two hours long and has a bunch of original clips, but he's just going through with a comb. Huh. Just, That's awesome. I, lo- yeah. I love it when people do that. Mm-hmm. If you couldn't tell yeah. from our podcast. <laughs> right. That's that's a lot of what you guys do. Yeah. yeah. When people put care into things. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the major things about the animation is that it is very realistic, but also very unanimated. True. Can you explain what you mean by that? Because right. I think so, I've heard, I think I've seen this thrown around, and I don't quite buy it in some they, ways. They did, they did everything they could to avoid animating. Um, you know, Wildey wanted a moving comic book, um, but it was more time and money intensive than Hanna Barbera wanted. So they planned things out. They planned out shots. A lot of times, you know, Johnny will be like. Oh, they jumped out of the plane, and then you'll cut to parachutes. Like you oh, don't sure. see the actual. There's not much transitions. Like if a character is going to switch which direction they're going, they'll like walk off screen and then will turn back the other way. You won't see them turn and face the camera and then turn the other direction and start walking. Yeah. There's a lot of like someone will be swinging on a vine, but that character won't be moving at all. It's just a rotation of that one flat image going across the sw- this uh, screen. 
Yeah. Which, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a uh, money saving technique and it still looks really awesome and adds to the action of it, but you can, yeah, you like, can see um, that. The, the documentary mentions the, uh, the Johnny slide, <laughs> a running character just slide to a stop. So you only need one, one still figure, but it looks more active than if you didn't like, sure. Yeah. These you... creative ways to save time and make it more distinct and use the rest of your time and budget to make these really beautiful backgrounds and shading stuff mm-hmm. yeah that, that makes sense and um, I, I, I like I remember, oh go ahead sorry i like no, that it's fine. this is this is how it always happens with three people because zane and i are used to two right so no, don't, don't worry sure. about it it's... also we talk over each other even with two yeah exactly <laughs> you guys you guys do it well though like, i feel like i'm like uh, we anyway. chop the shit out of it don't we worry. have 25 years of experience <laughs> fair enough um I, I i love that kind of prioritization of like we want to make this the best we can which i feel like a lot of artists want but they're like, it's okay if we kind of cut some corners on the animation because that means we can spend more time on, you know, getting our, our heart out into this artwork, like making the backgrounds look exactly perfect, getting the characters to move exactly the way we want to when we do get to animate them. Mm-hmm. So it's okay if, if some parts of it are basically just a serial, like, uh, animated version of a radio drama. Like, I, I like know, what you said there a lot mm-hmm. because uh, it, it, it seems like... Um, it seems like it, that, that part where you said... Um, they focus their effort onto the animations that they need to make. Yeah. I thought that all of, like, kind of the action scenes had very limited animation, mm-hmm. but maybe, like, the kind of uh, character interaction moments were, were well animated. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Race putting his hand on Johnny's shoulder. Just that simple little thing. Right. It's They put the their time into the, the shots that are really meaningful, and, like, sometimes they're mm-hmm. really cool action shots that are really well animated, but generally it is kind of a little Scooby-Doo-ish during the fight scenes it's just kind of running around and uh well, knocking yeah, people because over. because the fights tend to happen in these exotic locations and mm-hmm. they're done more like paintings than drawings. so mm-hmm. trying to have iconic characters moving in front of that it, it's a little jarring yeah that's yeah. true i just love the way the show looks though you can pause it on any frame and it looks beautiful it's it's, well, it's awesome well that's if there's if there's characters mm-hmm. you know they had different artists all trying to emulate the same style true. so sometimes you get inconsistent character oh, faces so true johnny johnny's face is just an amorphous blob of like what <laughs> a child looks like a mess. yeah it's i don't even know what he looks like he's the real monster <laughs> <laughs> i feel like race and benton they got down pretty good and honestly haji yeah. looks okay mm-hmm. most of the time i think it's because so much of well him you're distracted by his turban yeah whereas johnny looks different in in a lot of shots that's true <laughs> Johnny's pretty grotesque. Yeah. Johnny looks like he was created in a lab almost. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Like, how do you think his hair got to be made out of play doh? It's because the whole rest of it up was against Play-Doh. the test tube. <laughs> <laughs> just like uh, just like Hubert Farnsworth. <laughs> uh, I, I love there. There's this one moment in Venture Brothers where uh, his his kid Dean has like a medical uh, problem, um, and. Dr. Venture's uh, response is, I should have seen this coming. I could have fixed this in the prototype phase. <laughs> oh, jeez. <geez. laughs> Which is so beautiful and dehumanizing. <laughs> I do think that the characters in general look pretty good, maybe with the exception of Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't pay much attention to the backgrounds, but now that you mention it, it seems like they were pretty They were pretty solid. I like... Well, just like the... Like... Yeah, like the shading and the colors that they use represent the kind of story they're trying to tell so if if it's dark and green and like in a swamp yeah. you're gonna get you're gonna get a story that's 
much more eerie and kind of spooky whereas if it's bright and red and like in a near a volcano it's much more of a classic action james bond kind of thing those, those were the two that i watched as well <laughs> I, I watched okay i i didn't watch as many as i wanted to because the new season of survivor started oh so i got a little distracted cool. i'm not engaging with you right now then <laughs> <laughs> survivor is so good I, you know i think that um the reason that i didn't end up watching it very much i only watched a couple episodes is because i kind of i just got really bored the action get, is at such a slow boil mm-hmm. you get it pretty much immediately although i will say like the formula for an episode is pretty consistent so i don't know why i liked some episodes a lot and didn't like others very much at all That's it. like Did you think it was just the content like i don't know so like there's an episode with a volcano which i imagine you picked it because the title was the fraudulent yeah. volcano so, so you're like what is it cheating <laughs> on its taxes why I picked it. <laughs> um ben and i share a brain <laughs> well good it's fucking busted um, too and i don't know why i enjoyed it so much you know it's got like a, a technology people like blowing up a volcano to test their weapon fine and then there's another one where Dr. Zinn has this, like, flying saucer robot with a bunch of spindly legs, and it's, like, the same plot beats. I don't know why I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't tell you. Maybe, uh, I, I think it might be a symptom of a different generation, g- different audience, you know? Like, uh, we're, we're just a little bit more spastic in our appreciation of media. We, we kind of... I can't go anywhere without looking at my phone, you know? No, I mean, I don't understand why I liked one episode and didn't like another when they're basically... Oh, you don't think it was just fatigue? You think it was specifically that episode? Yeah. Was it something about, like, the plot or the the villain? Because I feel like, you know, the family is so consistent that the only thing that changes from episode to episode is the location. So, like, you know, what the town looks like, what the country looks like, and then whatever villain they're fighting that that week and then maybe haji does a new culture magic trick (laughs) yeah we can only i don't don't know i mean this is a very important and culturally relevant show i don't know how well it holds up um but but yeah the episodes were very hit or miss for me yeah yeah i feel like any episodic show is kind of that way because like the general flavor is the same so you only really notice the nuance like there's certain episodes of Seinfeld that I'm obsessed with, and there's someone like, I don't need to see this one again. Yeah, like, sure. It's it's the same same people doing the same types of things, but like, yeah, the jokes aren't are, different. Yeah, some of them are to you, some some aren't for you. Mm-hmm. A lot of little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little things exactly. Interesting. Yeah, um, I I didn't think of it that way. I thought I just got bored of it, but um, it, <laughs> you you might have. That's fair. I mean, your guys' interpretation of it makes sense as well. Did you get bored of it, or or did you tire of it, uh, Andrew, um, or I, did you like every episode? I like every episode I've seen. I think I've seen them all over my lifetime. Um, a lot of them, I guess, they didn't air in reruns, which is when I've watched most of them, like on Boomerang and stuff. Um, sure. They edited yeah, a lot of... You might have some nostalgia benefiting. Yeah, them. exactly. They they got rid of some of the, the violence. They got rid of some of the bandit scenes because their, their dog gets pretty annoying. So Yeah, I super annoying. Yeah. Um, uh, interestingly, not voiced by Frank Welker. <laughs> True. Yeah. Doug Wildey didn't want to include bandit. Mm-hmm. He was like, this is making it cartoony. You're missing what's making yeah. this show special. Yep. Yeah. True. Um, I, I don't really get super tired of it because I just, I love that there's something for me to think about every single second of every episode, whether, I mean, the story doesn't always keep my attention, so it's a good thing to have on in the background, but I just love the general vibe of it, hearing the music, hearing the voices, um, and I don't know, there's something about it that really appeals to me because I like the, the like little boy imagination, um, playing with action figures kind of vibe that it's got going for sure. it. 
and it's like the same reason why um, The Life Aquatic is my favorite movie. Have you guys seen that film? I have. It didn't touch me in the same way, though. Yeah, a lot of people I talk to about it, they're like, I didn't really like it. It wasn't that good. But it's almost like a Johnny Quest movie, pretty much. It's about this, this like, family unit with some kind of weird dynamics going on mm. who are out on the open ocean trying to find this one shark who killed uh, the main guy's friend. So they're like trying to do revenge and it's vaguely scientific and they're traveling all over the place. And then it's just about the family dynamic and fighting pirates. Mm. And it's pretty much just a Johnny Quest movie, but it's directed by Wes Anderson and starring Bill Murray. And <laughs> so those are like my favorite things ever all happening at the same time. Um, and it's <laughs> also Apocalypse. Jeff Goldblum. I could see why people wouldn't really be obsessed with it, but I mm. am. It's it's totally something I'm into where it's hmm. it's it feels like a bunch of 10 year old boys wrote this story it does doesn't it like, <laughs> yeah it, it feels like pure wish fulfillment and and i like that going back to like i don't remember if this was on the episode or before we started recording but we were talking about how when you're a kid and you're just kind of drawing your imagination of like what your perfect dream home would be like yeah. I, there's something fascinating to me about that even seeing other people's dream homes like just watching the way like their gears turn in their brain and what's important to them and and all that kind of stuff it's it's interesting to me well, it's it's the it's yeah. the nature of escapism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's why escapist fantasy holds such a strong uh, amount of real estate in kind of our cultural appreciation. It's, especially me and Zane. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. We play D and D all the time, and mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of video games. Like it's becoming more acceptable right. to kind of opt out, and uh, and and this is definitely one way to do it. And it seems like. I, I really like the the notion of an old man doing it, so that's why I like the life aquatic is because mm-hmm. he's just like, no, we're not going to do life for a while. I can't deal with it. My friend is dead. <laughs> I'm just going to go on a fucking adventure. Yeah, that's that's pretty nice. much the the gist of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> cool. that's really cool. Uh, if I if I watch the movie again, I'll have to keep those those ideas in mind. Um, let's mm. let's move along. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about music and sound. Yes. Before we wrap yeah. up, yeah, Hoyt Curtin. That guy's amazing. Yeah, I've never heard that name before. He, he did most of Hanna-Barbera's music. Um, yeah. The themes for the Jetsons, the mm-hmm. Flintstones. Um, oh, he really knows how to encapsulate a feeling. Yeah, even just through the same song. genre. Like, you know, it's almost all jazz, just brass jazz. And yeah. He had, he, had, he had a full jazz band here, and yeah. the drums and horns just keep pushing you forward. It's so the action sequences were some of my favorite parts of the show, actually. Yeah, and the music's so good, they ended up reusing it in several other um, Hanna-Barbera shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good music. It's just great action soundtrack, you know, for for whatever. Anytime you need some action music, just get the Johnny Quest soundtrack. It's well, well, here's awesome. the thing. It's, 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 it's either very dramatic orchestral or fast jazz. But in either case, it's never a tense moment. It's always an adventure moment. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, they don't it's, cleave... To, they're cleaving it's to the spy roots in a way that they treat life or death situations as exciting spectacle rather than, like, struggles to survive and keep my family alive. It's it's always phrased yeah. like, this is high-stakes, you know, this is, this is really cool spy drama stuff, not... In a technical you know, sense, I think the way that I would describe that is when it is a dangerous moment, you get, like, a lot of bombast all at once mm-hmm. but what i think is happening here keeping the action level high is just a consistent rhythmic pulse mm-hmm. and i feel like so i think that i think that's a technical difference there i feel like more modern interpretations they would want to add more attention and more drama into the the series and more mystery as well because there's there's not a ton of mystery for as many like bizarre things are happening in every episode 
you don't really have no, the Scooby Doo. Science you don't know yet. Yeah, exactly. The mystery is progress. <laughs> wow, that's a really cool oh. sense. Yeah, isn't it? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's grammatically incorrect. <laughs> no, right. We can workshop it though. I, I think that's you got something with that. That's cool. D- that would be a good subtitle for your stop. show. <laughs> the history is progress. <laughs> that's great. Um, I saw uh, in the documentary a story about uh, when the, when he was making the intro theme. Um, the trombone section said that like was making fun of him. They're like the music too easy to play, so he wrote their part too fast for them to actually play. Like the way that the trombone slide has to move between points, he deliberately made it so that they had to go from the really long position to the really short back and forth. Oh. So the intro theme just is perpetually like. Um, <laughs> well that's like, really because of spite it's really yeah. ridiculous <laughs> it's really fun but yeah he just had like super top level musicians which i love like it seems like yes. that's another area they put a lot of their money into was they realized the importance of of sound and having a good theme song to you know get people to like hurry over to the tv because the show's starting like they i think that's totally worth spending money on well as as something coming out of the radio production mm-hmm. kind of thing they did understand the need for good music i'm not convinced they understood the need for good sound effects uh yeah it's very hanna barbera <laughs> it's not it's sub hanna barbera I, I, right. I, I thought this was really jarring like you know how in radio broadcast you'd have foley artists and That's it true. was it was almost its own sort of moment it was it's almost its own scene it's mm-hmm. like if you had somebody like grinding up pepper to put on their meal and then you'd like shape do the thing like right into the mic that that sound effect is so much its own presentation yeah there's an art form there. and when you start putting visuals into it but don't pull any focus away from the sound effects it feels really they feel really disparate like they were added in completely separately as opposed to being organically in the scene yeah, you're so right. They, they don't mesh well with the action at all. I would just as soon not have any sound effects. Right. They're probably the low low point as far as audio design goes because they just don't fit with the quality of the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it was just growing pains. Like if, mm-hmm. if Ray Bannon's going to karate chop a dude in the back of the head, you'll have a really loud kind of, you know, kind of classic Hanna-Barbera sound effect, mm-hmm. but louder and less clean than it should be. And it, yeah. it's very strange. It's it's weird for Hanna-Barbera to do an action spy-fi show and do it so well. And then it makes sense for them to kind of like have one area where it's like, oh yeah, this is like not very good Hanna-Barbera stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the animation, they did, they did so well in so many different areas that were like completely unexpected. Like I would have never expected their very first action series to be so amazing in so many different ways. Where it's, I'm okay with them dropping the ball pretty bad in one area. Yeah, it, it's fine. It, it, I mean, it's it's something that I kind of disliked. Like, um, for instance, when there's some like uh, lizard men scuba suit wearing idiots shooting rifles or something like that, the crack mm-hmm. of those rifles is really loud and doesn't fit very well. Mm-hmm. But in a different scene, they'll have, you know, an explosion or something line up with the music, just kind of bombastic classical like, and for yeah. an explosion rather than an actual explosion sound. And it fits a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be and, cool uh, if they just used their their instruments to to create like sound effects like that, right. almost like a, a stage production. Like that's a what I'm saying. Old time yeah. theater. Yeah, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. But you know, they didn't. <laughs> Maybe they can no. remaster all the, the audio <laughs> sound effects. 
Yeah, and it, like I like I said, it's not a big thing. It's just uh, it's something that I'm aware of. Like they got better at this as time went on. Like even He Man and um, Star Trek, the animated series, and you know <laughs> the later limited animation things would kind of figure out how to incorporate sound effects a little bit more naturally and fluidly. Mm-hmm. They just hadn't quite gotten there yet. For sure. Anyway, yeah. So I, I think I, I think I kept, I think I monopolized focus for a minute there. Uh, do you guys have anything else else to say about music and sound? Uh, the mu- um, the music is incredible. I, I absolutely I really love, love it. it. Yeah, but, it's great. <laughs> um, the voice acting is pretty good, and the sound effects are pretty bad. You're you're totally correct on that. The the dialogue itself felt again very much like a comic book. Yeah. Movie. Um, a lot of random facts and fake scientific explanations. I love the random facts. It made it feel yeah, like no, entertainment. Right. Well, it's, it's like magic school you know, bus. It comes from the comics, and the comic dialogue comes from pulp novels where they were paid by the word. Mm-hmm. So you tend to get a lot of these like, oh, tell me more about how the butterfly you know, makes this cocoon, and then that'll be a plot bit later because just squeeze all of it in. Yeah, they also had the time to do it. Like It's not like they were hurting for... Like, uh, they weren't really trying, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like they were trying to stretch the actual content of the show out, because they spend, like, four minutes in setup that no one cares about. Like, and I liked it, but, like, you could have easily just had Race and, uh, and, and, uh, just, and Johnny Quest's entire family just captured for four more minutes instead. Well, I, you know, this is part of their whole, you know, we need to save time and money on animation. Let's have long establishing shots. Mm-hmm. Let's have this sort of drama and let the music do the work i i the the one last thing that i want to take from the documentary was that if they had tried to animate this keeping the same level of detail but animating in a traditional style it would have taken eight years Jeez. wow <laughs> that's crazy like, i don't know how he's doing that calculation right. but even if it's only a fraction I believe of that it though, like... yeah. uh yeah, yeah I, I i like the uh just to just to point out one thing though um the the scientific explanations, the edutainment stuff. I like how ludically it fits with the family dynamic. They're trying to raise these kids, mm-hmm. so they're pointing out a bunch of stuff that kids would want to know, and like yeah. trying to teach them stuff. Like this right. is what a laser is. It's like their whole life is a field trip. You yeah, know, they, they never have to go to school, but they travel all over the world and see all kinds of like crazy animals and different biomes, and they're mm-hmm. learning a lot, just not traditional thanks school style. yeah thanks miss frizzle yeah <laughs> with the frizz that'd be really cool if they if they were a slightly more of an edutainment bent to this so you could just like play it in science class like hey let's watch johnny quest like that would be a dream come yes. true for me it would have been easy like you could have done mm-hmm. that pretty easily yeah like i mean you just go a little bit more in depth with lasers mm-hmm. you can absolutely do some scientists talking about their their uh, trials and failures you get the entire electromagnetic spectrum in there and yeah. then you just finish up with a fucking you know boat sequence <laughs> it's fine um, it, it, it's a really nice uh, combination of like scientific like ideas with artistic license mm. yeah i love that and that's that's honestly something i kind of want to like push my career into like um i'm a math teacher currently but i like to like write and stuff and there's mm-hmm. there's a series i'm working on that's like kind of like this where there's an exciting plot to keep you interested but then there are certain little details that are mathematical in nature and can kind of like teach you stuff and point out that like school can be interesting like there's fascinating definitely. parts of this so yeah it's, it's definitely something i admire that that series did pretty well yeah and it's not as though kids don't like science when it's phrased in the form of uh fun mm-hmm. you know like all all spy 
novel or all spy genre kind of threats are eco catastrophes that you know are actually pretty relevant and <laughs> and not that hard to explain right True. so yeah any any final thoughts closing remarks I, I think this is a fascinating show, and if people haven't watched it, they should uh, check it out. Definitely the original series. It can be kind of hard to find. Like episodes are like you have to buy them for like two bucks, or try to find a DVD somewhere. But um, it's yeah. It's did worth you it. um you mentioned the it's the original series? Have you seen any of the uh, uh, reboots or sequel I, series? I haven't. I have not. Um, I've never really been interested in those. I just I like hmm. the original too much. I think. This is a decade uh-huh. that we hadn't looked at before, so mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting in kind of the first example of limited animation and mm-hmm. coming out of that radio broadcast idea. Yeah. So we've now done the 30s with Popeye. We did mm-hmm. the 70s uh, with Star Trek the Animated Series, and then we've done a ton of 80s, 90s, and ODs. Right. But we never did the 60s. That's cool. And, and yeah. the way I, I structured my blog back in the day was I wanted to switch decades every year. It was like a century of animation. So mm-hmm. I was like oh, trying nice. to like switch, you know, jump through time oh, drastically, excellent. and um, and that was really fun. It's cool to see like the roots of something, and then see what it's doing forty years later, and then see what it's doing thirty years later, and kind of compare and contrast those. It's fascinating. Yeah. I love watching the evolution of a medium like that. It's such mm-hmm. a, a new thing, really. I mean, a hundred years is nothing for art. It's crazy. Yeah, and and this is a great show to talk about in that context because it led to so many things and was inspired by so many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a definite know, given, stepping stone on the entire pro- progression of uh, of the medium. Given how well it did, the audio and the visuals, but how, I don't know, it, it wasn't super engaging for me to watch. Mm-hmm. And so in its place in history, I kind of think of it almost more of as, as like an art rather than a good show. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> not May my I favorite buy show. an art? <laughs> One art, please. <laughs> It's it's interesting to watch, but yeah, I don't recommend like watching and binging the whole series or anything. There's not an overarching plot. You can pretty much just jump into any episode. But but for what yeah. it is and for when it was made, it's it's pretty dang good. I, I agree uh, for the most part. I don't think that it was fun for me to watch, but I think that it was really a uh, irreplaceable moment in in this uh, in a, in cartoon history. And um, yeah. And a very relevant one that we're going to continue to come back to. Like, and it did just a lot of stuff that I thought was very novel. The uh, the nature of a family unit that is so non traditional yet so stable. The spy fi genre. Um, the idea of setting up your plots with like four minutes of you know government officials talking about the dangers of the ozone layer going away. <laughs> that's just mm-hmm. that's very interesting in uh, in comparison to the way cartoons normally are these days. Yeah. so true All right. yeah I, I definitely yeah. was uh helped to build the mold for for future series in a lot of different ways in a lot of uh for the next several decades after yeah definitely uh speaking of which zane what several decades after are we watching next time well it's a little confusing because it's a modern show that is basically clip a clip show of shows from earlier <laughs> sure we're we're watching uh, Disney's House of Mouse. Uh, basically, Mickey Mouse and the gang are uh, hosting like a gala. Like they're just mm-hmm. kind of having their own adventures at a theater, and in between watching, um, you know, watching some classic plot lines. Yeah, that should be really interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, what a- <laughs> 
I remember enjoying I, I don't, it. I'm I don't really know what to, it well. to make of that give conception. It, give it a fair shake. Uh, I'll it, give it a shake. Um, I'll give it, it two shakes. Like, sounds like an interesting like framing device for for a way of like making kids sit down and watch these old classic animation. Well, I don't remember if it, if they're actually showing the classic cartoons or if they're like modern animation styles of like old style stories. Uh, either so, I, I, either I, I'd be interested to go back and look at that. Yeah, either way, that should be interesting. Uh, in, in any case, after that... Yeah, what, uh, what are we watching? We will be watching Arthur, because we haven't done edutainment oh, in some boy. time, and I'm really... I really want... Well, not quite edutainment, but, like, you know, children's programming. Arthur. Yeah. The Anteater. That's right. Or Aardvark? What is He's he? an Aardvark. A-A-R-D-V-A-R-K. Was that... He did that at one point for a spelling bee. Oh. Uh, Great. And, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Ben. It, it, it has the best theme song in history. So Constantly on loop in my brain. <laughs> so that'll be a lot of fun. I'm going to hope to try to get David onto that because uh, I know that he loves that show for reasons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, reasons sounds a- right. A- Andrew, have you ever, do you have any memories of Arthur? Uh, I watched it as a kid, and for some reason, I I feel like I've only ever seen it at, like, um, there's like a frozen yogurt store that like always had it on in my childhood. <laughs> so like when you said that, I was like, oh, frozen yogurt, interesting. I don't I don't remember much about it at all. Um, Go listen I know to the theme song his, if you want to have a good day. His sister's name is DW, and at that's one point right. he calls her Dimwit. Like that's what DW stands for, and I was like, oh man, burn. Snap. That's <laughs> my my only memory of Arthur. Nice. Oh, that should be interesting. Ar- Ar- yeah, the only place I see Arthur anymore is like he's made a resurgence in the meme sphere. True. Yeah, that's true. That's that's about it. Um, yeah, that'll be an interesting yeah. one. Uh, anyway, uh, we're pretty much wrapping up now. So, uh, Andrew, would you like to plug your blog and or podcast one more time? Uh, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for having me on this. Absolutely. I love your show. It was a pleasure. This is cool. Um, it's it's interesting to like be in and on your guys' family dynamic. You know, it's like I'm the Haji <laughs> over here. It's like this is kind of interesting. <laughs> Constantly but, playing the flute for us to dance to. Right, exactly. I'll show you. I'll levitate you guys for a while if you want. Um, we appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the podcast is called Amusement Sparks. Uh, it's amusementsparks.com. Um, I might throw up my old blog onto that website, just like if people want to check that out. I mean, I basically just did research of old cartoons and stuff, and Mm -hmm. I pulled the website down maybe a year ago, so I was like, eh, I still have the content. But it's it's fairly germane to this podcast, so (laughs) feel free to... Yeah, I've uh, I've really been enjoying your podcast, and it's still very young, and I'm looking forward to seeing, like, where it's going. And I, um, I also want to thank you, because you at the end of each of your seasons, you go back through and get comments on, like, how you could improve... Mm. The ones that you've come up with, and you read a comment from me. Yeah, so exactly. Thank you, thank you for leaving that comment. Like, I'm trying to build a fan community because it is, it's a, something that anyone can do relatively well. You just have to, you know, spend a few minutes thinking about that kind of a theme park based on that property. And so I'm yeah. trying to get yeah. more, you know, social media stuff going so I can get more, like, crowd participation. So thank you for commenting. Yeah. I like to encourage that for sure because it, it makes, yeah, it makes awesome. things a lot more fun. Yeah. Z- Zane and I have not bothered to do anything, like, kind of fan. This is mostly for us. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. I mean, like, and that's fine. Like maybe maybe we'll try to do something with it. But like, uh, uh, not that we don't appreciate our listeners. I'm always fascinated by the fact that there are some people who we have not met who have listened. I'm to this. amazed every time that somebody registers for like that registers as a subscriber to the CartonCast.com. Like that's amazing. Isn't that cool? Yeah, <laughs> I, I are never, awesome. I never believe that it's happening. Yeah, I'm very confused. <laughs> right, but anyway, and when you like. Yeah. 
if you look up your statistics and you're like, someone downloaded this in like the Philippines, like how did they Why? find <laughs> out about this? That's amazing. <laughs> it's such like a cool, like random honor. Like why, why, why they, they do they like it? They were planting the audience. <laughs> it could be, yeah. it could just be like the podcasting service is like, let's make you, let's inflate your numbers a little bit. Somebody in uh, Australia this week started subscribing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just making well, me anyway, feel good about uh, the show. I, I haven't listened to your podcast yet, but I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to doing so, and uh, I hope you'll have one or more of us on at some point. Yeah, I'd love to have you guys on. We've um, yeah, as far as uh, animated series episodes, we did a Scooby Doo episode, um, and we just did Disney Afternoon uh, cartoons. I, I can't think of any show that I would want to make an amusement park mm-hmm. uh, out of more than Survivor. Survivor honestly. would be awesome, and actually. The reason why I like that show, I don't watch it regularly, but I always look up clips of the different like challenges they have. The um... that's why I want an amusement park. Yeah, for that. you want to uh, see how fast you can build a fire. That's why I keep applying to go on it because like I want to test my strength against you know. I, I thought you were people. joking when you said you applied for it. No, I totally Good. did. <laughs> you should be on it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I would love you, to. You and I should both be on it together, Zane. Yeah. I'll... We'll I'll be in different camps. We'll be in different camps, and we'll just meet every night to do the podcast. It'll be great. I bet. I bet they could do a sibling <laughs> season. I don't know if they've done that before, but that'd be pretty cool if everyone. Something. It's like gimmicky sibling. enough for them to try it. That's like, true. <laughs> seems like they do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Love gimmicks. Anyway. Anyway. Um, anyway. If you want to check out our podcast, simply go to cartoncast.com or check out our Facebook page. Um, leave a rating or review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And more than anything, just tell your friends about the show. Um, yeah. yeah, and uh, we, we like to give a sign-off. Uh, our, our guest is more than welcome to do so. Do you have anything that is Johnny Quest-related to sign us off with? Oh, jeez. Um, well, thanks for listening. Sim Sim Salabim. <laughs> Sim yeah. Sim Salabim, y'all. <laughs> it does feel like a rap. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know it. <laughs>